O God, reveal your glory through the preaching of your word this morning, we pray. And show us Christ. Amen. Do please sit and please find, if you would, in your Bibles, Philippians and chapter 1. I wasn't here uh, last Sunday morning, I was at the men's weekend. I'm, I'm guessing that as we're towards the beginning of uh, the, Paul's letter to the Philippians, you've already heard uh, that uh, Paul is in prison. Faced with the news that Paul is in prison, and prison was a, uh, well, you can imagine it was a, an even nastier business then than it is now, Um, they, in Philippi, are feeling very nervous. We know that because uh, at the very beginning of the letter, in verse uh, 5, we're told uh, of the reasons that they need to have confidence. I'm sorry, uh, verse uh, 6. Paul says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this... When Paul says, I'm confident of this, you know that he means, I know you're not confident of this, that's why I'm having to tell it to you. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, it's Advent. We're looking forward to the day of Christ Jesus. Between now and the arrival of Jesus Christ, what is it that we have to be afraid of? What is it that would stop a confidence that God's work will be completed. Well, the, Philippi, the Philippians, Philippians, sorry, the Philippians are kind of, I guess, running around like headless chickens because they've heard that Paul is in prison and it wasn't a good place to be. He was chained permanently to a Roman guard. Uh, I guess he had rats for company. So they're looking forward, they're expecting to hear the news that Paul is, is dead. And they're running around like headless chickens, what if Paul dies, what if Paul dies, what if Paul dies? And that, I suspect, is the liturgy of the Philippian church. What if Paul dies, what if Paul dies? And what Paul has to say in these words in front of us this morning is the answer to the Philippian question. We started at verse 12 of chapter 1 and read through till verse 26. And the first section, what if Paul dies? Well, the gospel dies with him. That's the fear. Paul has preached the gospel, and there's been a church that's come into being, so if Paul dies, then the gospel's going to die with him. And so Paul says, now, actually, it's okay. Verse 12, I want you to know, brethren, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Hasn't hindered it. On the contrary, it has advanced it. How so? Well, he's tied up to a Roman guard uh, most of the time. And uh, Roman guards had allegiance to Caesar. And they would have discovered that Paul was in prison because he had a different allegiance. Romans actually didn't care tuppence what local god you worshipped. What they cared about was who was Lord. And as long as you said, 
well, I, I worship thingy, but Caesar is the Lord, they were happy. Paul is in chains because he said something different. I worship Jesus because Jesus is Lord. Uh Uh-uh, can't say that. In prison you go, and the Roman guards would know about it. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else, verse 13, that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more more courageously and fearlessly. This is about uh, the time of Emperor Nero, and Nero didn't like Christians. He was beginning to get very suspicious of them. He was beginning to take action against them in Rome. And the uh, assumption uh, would be that if there is more oppression going on, well, the gospel message kind of quietens down, that it diminishes. But it isn't at all like that. On the contrary, the Christians around have known about Paul and have said, well, if he's in prison, then we're going to stand beside him. There is something about persecution that brings out the evangelist in all of us. I've, I've quoted in a few contexts. I can't remember if I've done it at the morning sermon. I was, morning service. I was very struck recently to hear that when uh, over 100 Christians were killed um, at the Anglican Church in Peshawar last year, in the three weeks that followed the congregation more than tripled. There is something about persecution that brings out the gospel. So, uh, what if Paul dies, the gospel dies with him? No, actually, it's okay. What happened is really advancing the gospel. Okay, next question, beginning around uh, verse 17. What if Paul dies? What if Paul dies? We will all fall apart. Paul has established the gospel, beginning with a woman, Lydia, in Philippi. And now the Philippians are anxious that if Paul dies, that unity that they had from the preaching of Paul's gospel, so everything's going to fall apart. There's going to be all kind of bits and pieces. There's going to be factions. There's going to be different groups. And Paul says, actually, it's okay. As long as the gospel's preached, I really couldn't care less. Indeed, I I rejoice. Yeah, it's true. And if he says it's true, it suggests they've already heard it. Yes, it is true what you've heard, that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. That's good. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Uh, What they're reckoning is, if we preach the gospel, that means the Romans are going to hate the gospel even more. If they hate the, the gospel even more, that means they're going to do something really horrible to Paul. So let's preach the gospel. Paul says, I don't care. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Now, I think it's a struggle for us to believe that. But he emphasizes it at the very end uh, of uh, that paragraph. Because of this, I rejoice. He wants us to know that he believes what he's saying. It's not just something I can put up with, that those who preach Christ out of envy will be kind of tolerated. I rejoice. I don't care if what the motives may be. I might care when I come to talk to you about motive and, and what it means to follow Jesus. But so long as the gospel is preached, 
whether it's a church that I founded, whether it's in a different church, whether it's people I know well, whether it's people I barely know at all, whatever the motives, if Jesus Christ is preached, I'm happy. Paul is the least narrow-minded of men. And then thirdly, what if Paul dies? What if Paul dies? Well, we've lost Paul. Paul says, actually, it's okay. I'll have gained Christ. What's not to like? Verse uh, 18b in that paragraph. I know that through your prayers and the help given me by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what's happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Don't quite know which way he means that. Am I going to be delivered alive back to you or delivered from life uh, to be with Christ? And he kind of follows that up. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, famous, famous bit alert. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain. Now, if he knows that he is going to remain, and we can only assume that this was some sense in him or some prophetic word that had been delivered to him. If he knows that he is going to remain, then when he says... I don't really mind whether I live or die. He's telling them because he wants them to get the point. He do, he, he's, he's not just airily describing how he feels. Oh, I think I'll write down how I feel at this point. He wants them to know that what really matters is Christ and the preaching of Christ. Once you get that as your ambition Oh, Philippians, he's kind of, he's pushing them to understand that. Then it's okay. And actually, no, actually, you don't need to worry. I, I, I do have this strong sense. I'm convinced that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. That's going to matter. Uh, hang on to that thought, progress and joy. Well, those are the kind of three responses to the fears that are going on in Philippi. Paul's in prison. He's going to die. He's going to die. No, it's okay. What happened is really advancing the gospel. No, it's okay. As long as the gospel is preached, it doesn't matter. It's okay. Even if I die, I will have gained Christ, but actually I'm not going to. Well, for me, maybe for you, this puts up a question that often enough comes up whenever I'm reading St. Paul. How special is it to be an apostle? See, in, in responding to their concerns, is Paul really saying, look, it's okay, I'm Paul. God is going to look after his apostle. Or is he saying, actually, you should, you, you should be like me too. I'm not that special. See, I sort of want it to be the first of those. 
Because that means, it's okay, then I don't have to be like that. I can leave you being Paul and I can read it and I can be really, really admiring of your fine words here, Paul. You're terrific, you're amazing, you're wonderful. I just don't have to be like you, thank you. That's the answer I want. But I suspect that's not the right answer. I looked up the definition in the Oxford English Dictionary of the word fanatic. And it is a person filled with excessive and single-minded zeal. Well, single-minded zeal, yes, but is it excessive? Is it excessive for Paul to behave? Or is he actually saying, actually, I want this to be normal? So I don't want to be a slacker. I don't want to have to be without zeal. But I kind of don't want to have to be as zealous as Paul is. And what really struck me when I was thinking about this was that that line of Jesus in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And it seems to me that this is Paul's equivalent. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. What I really want Jesus to say is, it's okay as long as you've got the kingdom of God in your top five. But I don't think Jesus meant that. I think he meant what he said. Seek first the kingdom of God. And I don't think Paul wants me to say, well, it's okay for you, Paul, that's fine. Uh, You carry on being Paul the Apostle and reassuring the Philippians about your circumstances uh, and your emphasis on Christ and the gospel. Um, and, And honestly, I do have those in my top five. I don't think he's saying that for a moment. I think he's saying, I do want you to be like me. I think that's why he tells them for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He doesn't mean for me to live is Christ and die is gain. I don't know about the rest of you, because I'm holy and I'm an apostle, so but for me, it's for, Christ, for, me to Christ is, uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I think he means, I actually know I'm going to be restored to you, but because I know I'm going to be restored to you, I want you to know just how deep this runs for me and therefore should run for you. To me, to live uh, is Christ and to die is gain. I wonder what we might have said if we had been chained to a guard in a Roman prison. Paul is seeking a kingdom, that same kingdom of God. If your eyes wander over, as they almost can't help if you're on this page of our Bibles, to verse 11 of chapter 2, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord He's the king. I'm in the right place because I am challenging Caesar as to who is Lord. And when someone's in difficult circumstances and encouraging others, obviously one option is that they're being kind of just terribly English about it. A sort of stoic, well... Yes, I'm in prison, but I'm going to make the best of a frightfully bad job. I'm, I'm going to start giving the rats names. Or whatever it may be. Well, of course he's not being that. It's not a kind of stoic, I'll put the best face on it I can. 
If that were true, he would not, want, he would not be able to be so concerned with their progress and joy in the faith as he is at the end of our reading today. Progress and joy. We're going to find out in the course of the letter that what he wants from them is a deep humility, a a working together, a contending, fighting together for Christ and the gospel, doing so in an atmosphere without grumbling, having a unity in the gospel work. It's not a kind of stoic Englishness, putting the best of a bad job face upon it. He wants their progress, and he wants their joy. He's doing this for a reason. He's saying this for a reason. And therefore, we have to ask these two questions as we finish. Firstly, is there bad stuff going on in your life. There probably is. In most lives, at any given moment, there's some bad stuff going on. Are you or you the, or those you care for physically, mentally, unwell? Is that your bad stuff? What's the situation with your work or your studies or the daily vocations of your life? Do you have a job? Do you want a job? Are you in danger in your job? You're frustrated in your job. What about your relationships? Are you in love, out of love, wanting to be in love, perhaps wanting to be out of love, don't know? Well, Paul is saying, then consider how it relates to the gospel. He's not saying what we want him to say. What we want him to say is, yes, God, if you're in crisis in your job, God's got an answer for your job. You're in crisis about your love life. God's got an answer for your love life. Paul is saying to us, okay, take those issues and consider how they relate to Christ and the gospel. Because that's what I'm doing from a Roman prison. If I can do it in a Roman prison, you can do it in your circumstances. In those circumstances, whatever they may be, and actually for most of us they're a mixture of good and bad, Is the gospel being furthered because of the witness you bear in those circumstances? That's not the question we expect to be asked. But it leads then to the second question. Are we relevant to the gospel? Very often I deal pastorally with those who who have... Life kind of set out on a track, maybe a wandering track, but it's still a track. And what is desired is the hope that the, the gospel story, the Bible stories, the, the, the stuff around Jesus, all of this will be applied to that track. And this says something else. This says God's ambition, the track that God is on, is the gospel is moving on. And the challenge is whether we will take our lives and apply our lives to the gospel. It's not, is the gospel relevant to me? But am I relevant to the gospel? Because it's the gospel that is going to go forward. Paul is totally convinced of that. I don't care whether I live or die, the gospel will go forward. I don't care whether you're 
fearful. I can give you reasons not to be fearful, but if you choose to remain fearful, then the gospel will still go forward. What I want is for you to be on board that gospel train so that progress and joy will go forward with the gospel, because the gospel is going to go forward. And if it doesn't go forward through you, it will go forward through others. If it does not go forward through our church, it will go forward through others. This is about getting on that Christ and gospel train that concerns Paul. There is no other track that can be pursued towards joy and courage. Joy comes four times in this passage. And of course we want, because we're human, of course we want the joy to come as something about the gospel applies to our life. And Paul says, no, joy will come as you apply your life to the gospel, because that's the one guarantee we've got in this life, that whatever happens, the gospel will go forward. God will see to that by his Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. I began by saying that Paul faces a church in Philippi where they're running around like headless chickens, going, what if Paul dies? What if Paul dies? What if Paul dies? And through the letter, through this passage today, Paul wants to give them courage to say that's not the issue. And I want to pick up the thought and kind of imagine with you as we finish What if the issue was a different what if? What if there were a church that lived inside verses 12 to 26 of chapter 1? What if there were a church that knew that circumstances can be adapted to serve the gospel? Circumstances can be used and harnessed to serve the gospel. What if there were a church that knew that as long as the gospel is preached, not, else, not much else matters? What if there were a church in which every member knew that whether we live or die, we gain Christ, and that's all that matters? What if there were a church, as I know I am not yet, but please God I may be, and what about you? What if there were a church of Christ and gospel fanatics, filled with excessive, splendidly excessive, magnificently excessive, and single-minded zeal. Can we pray together? Lord God, there's a hymn that prays, Revive us, Lord, is zeal abating. And we confess before you how often we allow our zeal to diminish, our joy to be dimmed, and our courage to be nearly extinguished. And as that hymn before, song before we Uh, attended to your word, uh, prayed. We ask that in in the word of God from St. Paul today, we may find the resources 
for zeal to blaze forth again in this place and in this time and in this generation. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.